0: Well good morning everyone, good morning, good morning, how are we doing, good, let's put it this way, hopefully that's good, that's got enough space. Well that, uh, well I'll introduce myself first, I'm Kyle by the way. Uh, that, that video just brought back so many memories for me, seeing myself in that video. Was a, little, was a little scary. I don't know how to describe it. Um, I, I, I'll give my own kind of um, spiel for UB Camp, I guess, quickly. I think I mentioned it a little bit ago because we announced that UB Camp had registrations open. It really is, like, life-changing. I can say that, because my life was changed through it. So it's an honest testimony. Um, if you can send your kids, or if you know someone who's of age to go to UB Camp, please send them, like, please send them. It's an amazing time. It really formed my faith. Um, Just who I am as a person, I really would say I would not be up here in front of you today without going there. So if you can send your kid, if you know someone who can go, if you can volunteer, please do it. It would be awesome. Um, Before we jump into the word, would you please join me in a word of prayer? Dear Lord, God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the time that we've had so far to spend in worship, in fellowship. Lord, I thank you for the gifts of the people in this church and just their ability to share those gifts with us. God, I thank you for the fun that we've had and the laughter. Lord, it's all from you, and we praise you for this time. As we jump into your word, would you please open up our minds and our hearts to be receptive to what you have to say to us today? We pray this all in your name. Amen. Well, we are now in the second week of our 66-week series in the Gospel of Luke. Yes, 66 is the right number. Uh, If you weren't here with us last week, Pastor Brad introduced our new sermon series that we're going to be going through over the next year and a bit, and we're going to be walking verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke. 66 weeks can sound intimidating but it actually excites me. Uh, I'm really looking forward to going through this series together. And our hope is, obviously, that we can pick up on some major themes throughout the Gospel of Luke, throughout our time together. But our ultimate hope is that as we go through this series, we can take a moment to really slow down as we go through Scripture, to have a greater understanding of who God is, of who he's made us to be as his church. And especially as the Gospel of Luke is going to touch on, we're going to talk about what the work of salvation really is that God is doing in our world. Last week, Pastor Brad did offer some opening remarks about the first four verses of Luke's gospel, talking a bit about what Luke's gospel is really all about, some major themes that we are going to see. He touched on who Luke is, who he's writing to. And this week, we're jumping into the first story in Luke's gospel, the first story that Luke has to give us. And so this morning, we're going to be walking through the story of the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist. Now, if you were with us back in November and December during our Advent series as we were looking forward to celebrating Christmas, we actually already went through this passage together. Back then, we were studying this passage really in the light of Christmas, looking forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. But my hope here this morning is that we can look at this story more in the greater lens of the entire Gospel of Luke. This is the first story that Luke gives us, and this story really sets the tone for what the rest of the Gospel is going to talk about. So if you have your Bibles with you, would you please open up to Luke chapter one? We're gonna start at verse five today. Luke chapter one, starting at verse five, and we're gonna go all the way to 25 today. So Luke chapter one, verse five, going to 25. And here is what scripture has to say. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is to never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born." the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering, Why he stayed so long in the temple? When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor And taken away my disgrace among the people. Would you please join me in another word of prayer? God, we settle our hearts before you. Lord, before I even offer words about this passage, God, we let this word speak to us first. We thank you for this story. We thank you for the people who are involved in it and the way that you moved in their lives. And would this teach us something about our faith? Would this stir something in us, Lord, so that we may follow you and love you more deeply? I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, that was a little bit of a longer passage that we read this morning, but I thought it was first helpful for us to just read the passage in its entirety, to read it as one cohesive story. So that way we have the bigger picture of what's really going on in this passage. But as we walk through it together, my hope is that we'll walk through it as the story is told, but I kind of want to highlight each of the characters in our story, what they have to teach us about the greater themes of the Gospel of Luke as well as just what they have to teach us here today about our faith. I think we're introduced to five main characters. Now, of course, God is spoken about in this story, but other than him, there's five main characters. Four of them are human, and one of them is not. We meet Zechariah, his wife Elizabeth, their future son, John. And a fourth human character I see in this story as well is the praying people outside of the temple they're also important. And the one non-human character we meet is the angel Gabriel. And so my hope is is to give each of them their own little moment in the spotlight so that we can learn more from their own personal stories. So let's begin first with our friend Zechariah. He's the first person that we meet in this passage. And I think he's kind of the main character here. A lot of detail is given to him, a lot of airtime is given to him in this story. And Luke introduces him to us as a righteous man. He keeps God's commandments, even blamelessly. And his wife, Elizabeth, is also described in this way. We're told that Zechariah is an old guy. He's an old man, and him and his wife have not been able to have a child during their marriage. And Luke tells us specifically that Zechariah is a priest. He's a priest, and this means that he serves in the temple of the Lord. He's there to ensure that the proper laws and procedures are followed when people are presenting different offerings and sacrifices to God. He's there to ensure that God is worshipped rightly by God's people. So he has a significant job. We also learn from historical context and other biblical passages that as a priest, Zechariah would have served in the temple for two one-week periods a year. He was also a member of one of 24 divisions of priests in the first century. This means that Zechariah was one of 18,000 priests in the first century. Now, when we read the Bible and we talk about the priests, I think we often think of like this really small group of elite people. They do have position, status, and power, but there's 18,000 of them. And Zechariah is one of them. And I think it's important to highlight that, that there was a lot of priests during this time. And as a priest, Zechariah would actually only officiate over the sacrifice at the temple once in his lifetime. Once in his lifetime. I mean, there's 18,000 people who have a chance. So once in his lifetime, he would get to officiate over the sacrifice. And he would get to officiate over the sacrifice having been selected by lot. Now, in scripture, you might see a few times where there's this reference to the casting of lots. This is basically like throwing dice to go see who's gonna go inside the temple to offer the sacrifice. But for the people of this time, they didn't think of like the casting of lots as random chance. They thought of that as a way to actually discern God's will. And so as a priest, Zechariah was chosen by Lot at this time to go into the temple and to officiate over the sacrifice. That's the setting for our passage today. And the very specific setting for our passage is that there is uh, one of two times for daily prayer set aside at the temple where incense would be offered. We read in this passage that Zechariah was offering incense at the temple. This was called a perpetual offering to God. It was something that was meant to be burned continuously. Now, you might be wondering... What is an incense offering? And I just find this fascinating, so excuse me while I nerd out. The incense offering, okay, is spoken about in scripture in the book of Exodus. It's meant to be a fragrant offering to the Lord, okay? This included a prepared blend of spices that would be prepared by the priests, and it would be burned inside of the temple on the altar of incense. There is specifically something inside of the temple called the Altar of Incense. And this Altar of Incense is located, actually, right next to the Holy of Holies, the most holy place in the temple. The only thing that separated the Holy of Holies where God's glory dwelt, and the Altar of Incense was the curtain that separated the two. That was the only thing. And so this offering of incense would be burned on the altar by the priest, and the aroma from the incense would rise up and the thought here is that the aroma would rise up to God as a pleasing aroma to him and the symbolism and the imagery here I find is fascinating because the thought here for the people of Israel was that as the incense rose to God and was pleasing to him the thought was is that their prayers would rise with the incense to God as a pleasing aroma And this is where we're met with one of our characters in the story, the people who are outside praying at the temple. These people are outside of the temple praying, and their expectation is, as the priest is offering the incense, their prayers are rising with the aroma to God as a pleasing aroma to him. This might sound kind of foreign to a lot of us, but there's actually a lot of church traditions today that still practice the burning of incense. And it is spoken about in the New Testament as well, so I will say that. Now, we're met with Zechariah, who's offering the incense. The people are outside praying, and they're likely praying for individual situations in their lives, in their community's lives. They're likely also praying for God to come and intervene and deliver them from their enemies. They could have even been praying for the Messiah to come. And it's in this context that Zechariah is offering the incense and the people are praying. All of a sudden, we're met with an angel who just shows up in the picture and he's at the altar of incense right next to Zechariah, this holy place. And I think the amazing thing is here, this is not a normal occurrence in the temple. Zechariah likely asked his other friends who are priests and we're like, hey, When it was your turn to go into the temple and offer the incense, what was it like? I don't think a single one of them said, yeah, I was doing the whole thing. And all of a sudden, this guy named Gabriel showed up. No one, no one would have told him that. This is not something that usually happens. This is a unique experience for Zechariah alone. And Zechariah is rightly startled, gripped with fear. If any of us saw an angel pop up before us, we would all react the same way. And so Zechariah, his reaction here is fine. He's scared, because this is not what he expected to happen. It was something that the people of Israel were doing for so long, for generations and generations. Priests were coming into the temple offering incense. It was rising to God. People were praying. But never did an angel all of a sudden pop up and speak to the priest. But Gabriel sees Zechariah's fear, and he says some amazing words to him. He says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. Zechariah and Elizabeth were likely praying to have a child for so long. For so long. There may have come a time when they're just thinking, we're just too old now. It's not going to happen. But God sees the prayers of Zechariah and Elizabeth and he answers them. And I don't think this is just for them alone. I think this answering of prayer is also for the people who are outside of the temple. Your prayer has been answered. I think about the generations of people who have been praying outside of the temple. I think about the entire history throughout the Old Testament of the people of God looking forward to God intervening and delivering them. And it's here in this passage and in these words where God speaks through Gabriel and says, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. I think it's amazing I think it's beautiful as I was even preparing for this message and I was reading through the passage I just had to stop at these words because I think this is kind of like a mic drop moment in the history of God's people not just in Luke's gospel because here God is saying I have heard your prayers I've seen the aroma I've smelt it (laughs) and I'm here today to answer your prayers I'm speaking today and things are going to change. I think that's a beautiful statement from the angel here in these few words. It seems that Zechariah does calm down a little bit from this. And the angel goes on to introduce another character to us actually, and that's gonna be Zechariah and Elizabeth's future son, John, more popularly known now as John the Baptist. The angel has some beautiful things to say about John as well. I think it would have been an answer to prayer enough if the angel just said, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a son, you're going to call him John. We could have celebrated just at that point. That's an amazing answer to prayer. That these two people who are old now, who cannot have a kid, now all of a sudden can. But God loves to abundantly bless his people. Because John is no ordinary guy. The angel says about him all of these things, and just try to keep track of, How many things, the angel says about John here. He's going to be a joy and a delight to you. He's going to cause many people to rejoice because of his birth. He's going to be viewed as great in the sight of the Lord. He is to never take wine or other fermented drink. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. That's crazy. He's going to bring back many people to the Lord their God. He's going to turn people back to God. He's going to go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of the great prophet Elijah. He's going to turn the hearts of parents back towards their children. He's going to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. And ultimately, he's going to make a people who are ready for the Lord. I can't think of a greater responsibility to be the person who prepares the way for Jesus And we'll come to find out as we read further in Luke's gospel, John does a great job. (laughs) He does turn many people back to the Lord. He's baptizing people in repentance. He's pointing them towards the coming Messiah. And we're going to talk more about John later on throughout our series, so we won't go further about what his life ends up looking like. But it's important for us to uh, hear this even now today, because what the angel Gabriel speaks about John is a major theme throughout our gospel. The turning of people's hearts back to God. Salvation is what Luke's gospel focuses greatly on throughout the entirety of it. And this is just kind of letting us know this is what it's all going to be about. So Zechariah hears this amazing promise, this amazing proclamation, this incredible prophecy, but he's got some questions. And he he says to the angel, "How, how can I be sure of this? This sounds great and all, but how do I know this is going to happen? Because I'm old, and my wife is along in years. So how is this going to work out? And the funny thing is, Gabriel doesn't tell him. He just says, I am Gabriel. Tells him who he is. He says, I stand in the presence of God. I mean, he's an angel, but they're also inside of the temple right now, right next to the Holy of Holies. And he tells him, I was sent to give you this good news. The coming news, this good news about the birth of your son, I was sent to speak this to you. In one sense, he's just kind of saying, I'm an angel. We're in the temple. I told you this. Is this not enough? And Zechariah then is left mute, unable to speak for nine months. The angel tells him basically, you're going to have to sit back and watch as God does his amazing work of giving your wife a child. You're just going to sit back and have to watch it all take place. This might sound like kind of a harsh punishment for the question that Zechariah gave, but he did respond in disbelief. And I actually think what the angel does for him here is an act of kindness. He could have just said, Zechariah, you're out of the picture now. We're going to find somebody else. No. He just says, you're gonna be mute, you can't speak, but you're still gonna get to watch. You're still gonna see how God works throughout this whole story. And we are gonna come to see that Zechariah does have a redeeming moment in this story, but we'll have to wait for chapter two for that. But at this point, all we know is Zechariah is left mute, unable to speak after this encounter with Gabriel in the temple. So, Zechariah, walks out of the temple, and the people who are outside praying are a little concerned because they're like, he's in there a little too long. Is he okay? Is he okay? Like, did he do everything right? Because if he didn't do it right, he might just be dead inside of there. So they're kind of concerned and wondering, like, what is going on? And so he comes out of the temple, and he can't speak. But priests were expected to offer a customary blessing over the people praying outside after they offered the incense. But Zechariah steps out and he can't say a word. And the people realize at this moment that something special has happened on this day. And it's not just something special that happened on this day alone. It's a day that's going to change the course of human history forever. I find that crazy when I think about the stories of scripture that this moment in the temple changed the lives of you and I here today. Without any of this, we're not sitting here. It's true. We're not sitting here today if this didn't happen. And to think that because this happened, we are here today, I think is amazing. And so these people here, even on this day, have realized something's happened. He's seen something in there. He can't, he can't speak to us. I don't know what Zechariah did. I don't know if he just tried to wave goodbye and go back home or whatever, but he just left, and he goes back home to Elizabeth, And we're told that Elizabeth becomes pregnant, and this is our introduction really to Elizabeth. I mean, we're told from the very beginning that she's righteous, she also follows God's commandments like Zechariah does, but this is the first time we actually get to hear from her in this story. And although little is spoken of her within this story, I think perhaps out of all the characters, Elizabeth might shine the brightest. Because Elizabeth becomes pregnant, for five months she remains in seclusion, We actually don't know why, but she's in seclusion for five months, and the first words that we hear from Elizabeth are, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor to me and taken away my disgrace among the people. For Elizabeth, her life was likely very difficult. During this period of time, To be a woman who could not bear a child was seen as socially disgraceful. You were not able to bear someone who would carry on your family line. Much of really what it meant to be a woman at that time was to just be able to bear a child. And so she likely lived many years in this social disgrace. One of the things, though, is we don't hear that Elizabeth is bitter with God. She may have had many times throughout her life where she was Upset, wrestling with God, like, God, where is my kid? Where's this child? But ultimately, what we hear of her and what is spoken of her is that she is someone who keeps God's commandments. Throughout her entire life, she remained faithful to the Lord, continuously pursuing him, even in the midst of this disappointment. But after she is given the blessing of being able to be the mother of John, She doesn't forget God all of a sudden. Like, oh, thanks, God, now you finally gave me what I wanted. No, she credits all of this to the Lord. She praises him and thanks him. The Lord has done this for me. He has removed my disgrace. And Elizabeth, I think, paints a beautiful picture, even from the very beginning of Luke's gospel, of just what it looks like to be faithful to God. Someone who keeps God's commandments, who pursues him and even in the midst of the disappointments of life she continuously follows him and elizabeth is blessed she is given a child but it happens at god's appointed time he knew when it was right to send gabriel to give this news it was his timing his exact timing that was perfect now I think when it comes to us learning something from this passage here today, even about our own faith, there's a lot of times where we can just look at this story as kind of a comparison between Zechariah and Elizabeth. And there is a little bit of comparison there. Zechariah chooses to not believe, and Elizabeth chooses to praise and have faith. But I think there's much more to the story than just that. First, I really think that what we can learn from this immediate story here today is that God fulfills his promises. God fulfills his promises. And that's gonna be a major theme throughout Luke's gospel. No matter how long the silence, no matter how crazy the promise, no matter how deep our disappointments and how things have been, God faithfully fulfills his promises in his appointed time. And that last little part is really important. It's about his time. He knows what's right for us, but he also knows when it's right for us too. We as people like to have our prayers and promises answered right away and in our terms on our time. How many of us afterwards, after finishing praying, just expect things to change right away? A lot of us do, even if we might not say it right away, but it's true. When we pray and we finish our prayers. Sometimes we just believe, okay, God, it happened or it's happening. And sometimes God does act in the immediate. There are times when he instantly will respond to our prayers and answer them. But oftentimes, God really likes to reverse our expectations. He really likes, I think in one sense, to surprise us with not only the type of answer he gives us, but when he gives it to us as well. And again, I think this is a major theme in Luke's gospel where Jesus himself is going to reverse a lot of people's expectations, a lot of people's expectations. But what we do know is that in the midst of all this, that God is faithful to fulfill the promises he's made. He's faithful to fulfill the promises he made in the Old Testament. He's faithful also to the promises he's made in the New Testament, ones that we're still waiting to see fulfilled. We're still waiting to see that fulfilled that day when we're going to live together as his church in a place with no more death, crying, pain, or mourning. We're still waiting for that. But the beautiful thing is, God has a great track record of fulfilling his promises. There is not a promise of his that will go unfulfilled. And we can rest in that promise and trust in that promise. We may have times where we have doubts and we have questions like Zechariah, but we still have the opportunity to choose trust, praise, and thanks like Elizabeth did. Ultimately, God fulfills his promises. I think a really important thing to go along with that, though, is that the blessings that God gives us work both personally and in community. God blesses Zechariah and Elizabeth here with a child. But what does the angel say about John as well? He doesn't just say he's going to be a joy and delight to just you. He says many are going to rejoice because of his birth. And the same thing is going to happen with Jesus too. God gives blessings to us. It meets our personal needs because he knows what we need. But ultimately, the blessings he even gives us have a multiplication effect to them. The blessings that he provides to us are meant to also bless others. There's meant to be kind of this snowball thing that happens with blessings.